There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome back to another episode of the How I Quit Alcohol podcast. For first-time listeners, please be aware that not all of the conversations within this podcast are suitable for children. I'd also like to add a trigger warning that sometimes the conversations can get a little heavy. We may talk about things like sexual abuse, domestic violence, drug use and alcohol use. And if you feel that that may trigger you, please do not tune in. Also, I'd like to add, if you are a heavy daily drinker, please seek the help of a medical practitioner before quitting alcohol. This podcast comes to you from beautiful Bunjalung country. Please kick back and enjoy. Grab yourself your favorite alcohol-free bevy. And if you haven't already, do a gal a favor. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery. Monday Distillery is a new age beverage company revolutionising the way we look at having a night out with friends. They make sophisticated, non-alcoholic beverages that are sugar-free and full of social graces. Now you can enjoy a good time, love what you drink and love yourself the next day too. Stay high in spirits, keep a clear mind. Cheers to Monday. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi, and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the Zoom room, I'm joined by Sam Cooper from New Zealand. Sam's a beautiful piano player, and we connected over Instagram back in 2021, I think it was. Sam, you first sent me a message, just a bit about your journey and how you'd been listening to the podcast. And I think we kind of connected a bit on being mutual Elton John fans (laughs) with some comments you'd made at some of the concerts I'd been to. So it's really lovely to have you on the podcast today. How are you? 
Hi, Danny. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm really great. I'm very excited. Yeah, a little bit nervous, but yeah. I love that feeling. It's kind of cool. Tell me, Sam, firstly, how old are you? I am 27, turning 28 in May. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, so by the time this podcast airs, you'll be 28 years old. And how, That's correct. Yeah, and how sober are you? How long have you been sober for? So I've been sober since November 21, so that's about 16, 17 months, about a year and a half-ish into the sober journey, but yeah, loving it. Amazing. Yeah. Tell us a bit about your story with alcohol and when you started and how it kind of escalated and got to the point where you wanted to stop. Yeah. So I started drinking when I was about 16, 17. It was in my second to last year of high school. And I first started going out to a few parties and that's where it all really started. Uh, And I was quite a shy person at that point. I I was very self-conscious in the way I looked. I know I had really bad acne and I got a bit of bullying at school through the years from that. I guess I just was a very self-conscious person. I thought everyone didn't think I was, didn't look good and everything. So I was a bit self-conscious and then started drinking alcohol and that kind of took away a lot of that. It made me very confident all of a sudden. And I sort of Mm. had the confidence to to want to talk to particularly females. I was obviously really terrified at that age where a lot of my other mates, they were very confident, but I was just so convinced that people thought I was ugly. And so I didn't want to talk. Then alcohol just kind of gave you that liquid confidence and mm. took that away. And I think the first night I drank, I sort of stole six or seven Heineken's from my dad's bear cupboard. And as you do, when you're young, you just sort of try and get your hands on something and went to the party and then there was a lot of alcohol there. It didn't take me too long to get really drunk. And around that time, there was that Teach Me How to Dougie song, sort of a rap song, and I was dancing to that. And people thought it was very funny, and so they started recording it. Before I knew it, the next day, I woke up pretty hungover, and then that was on Facebook, and it had quite a few likes. And so that was sort of the first kind of, right, this is what happens sometimes. If you drink too much, people find it funny, and Mm. I guess that humiliation feeling I thought people were laughing with me but really they were probably laughing at me oh did you realize that then or is that more in hindsight that's more in, I guess at the time but also yeah I think it was more just a little bit of both like people like I could laugh it off but also I was a bit embarrassed about it as well mm-hmm. Because it goes against your true nature. You're probably your true nature is not to sit there, like to not get up there and dancing and doing that. And suddenly that's you and you're probably going, what the, what? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It just wasn't me. I guess just the reality of like alcohol puts you into a zone where you just don't really care or you just sort of do dumb stuff basically and stuff that you wouldn't do if Mm. you weren't drinking. Then on there are a couple of school balls that I went to, again, got pretty drunk. I wasn't too out of control. But then there was one night in our final school ball, I somehow managed to convince my parents to host the after ball function at my place. Once everyone else got in after the ball, everyone was having a good time and I just absolutely let loose. And there was a photo of me just completely combed out with a bowl of chips tipped on me. And someone took a photo of that and again, posted it on Facebook and obviously waking up the next day, seeing that and people liking and commenting it. And I guess it just sort of built up a bit of a reputation. Sam's a bit of a drinker. And yeah, I guess, again, it was, it was pretty humiliating But I guess those are sort of the early days when you're 18 and people didn't really, I guess, care as much at the time, but still it was, Mm. it was quite embarrassing. 
it's like it kind of creates this label that has actually got nothing to do with our true essence. So it's like suddenly now Sam's this party guy and you probably got this kind of legendary status of being this guy or this guy that shows up and acts like this and is this way. But, and like I said before, it's actually so out of line with who you actually most likely are. It's such an incongruency. It's this sort of very strange push and pull. And then was there that expectation to keep showing up like that? I think so. I think people did have that expectation, but also I just loved it. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like people were very keen to see me in an intoxicated state and do funny stuff, but I really chased the buzz. I loved that people, I got that sort of feeling of recognition or people would laugh at me and say, oh, you're legend. Like you're absolutely smashed. Like I think that's just that general culture and in New Zealand, Australia, but probably all around the world. Like when you're young, you get smashed. You're sort of seen as a bit of a a legend, I guess, that you're putting on a bit of a show and things. So I kind of Mm. chased that. I I kind of like trying to be the star of the show once I'd had a few drinks. And once you got beyond seven or eight drinks, you just, the switch flipped and just decided to get loose. And you kind of lost your, I lost my sense of reality. And yeah, there are a few occasions where just doing that over and over when you're 18 and 19, you're used to going out and drinking and you're building up that tolerance of how much you can drink. And I remember when I was 18, before I was going to start uni, I got really drunk one night and this comes back to kind of binge drinking. By that point, I was just binging, playing drinking games and seeing who could sink a box the fastest. It was that kind of culture of going out with mates. And I remember one night, me and my mate bought a couple of boxes and we said, oh, who can finish the box of a 12 pack of 8% Cindy's? Um, like basically vodka cruises and basically I tried to drink it as quick as I could and I drank the box and I know I had some point that I had a few shots of gin and I was just basically blacked out. Later that night, a few friends, friends of friends found me at a, a bus stop in the middle of town and I was pretty unresponsive. They tried to put me into a, a taxi, but obviously the taxi driver couldn't take me. And so then, bless this girl, a friend of my, one of my mates, she got my phone out, called my parents and said, oh, Sam's in a bit of trouble here. Could you come in and collect him? And obviously my dad came in and helped me into the car, obviously don't really remember it at all just completely blacked out and then I obviously got home but then obviously being blackout you're not really in control of what you're doing and I think the most embarrassing thing was I got home woke up in the morning and my mum kind of knocked on my door and took me to the bathroom the most nicest way I can say this is I sort of thought the bathtub was the toilet and mm-hmm. obviously the smell the next day was horrific. My parents were jolly angry. I know they grounded me for for a week. Well, they didn't really ground me. This didn't really talk to me for you know, three days. And I guess that was a, a wake up call. Tell me a bit more about that. Like when you woke up the next day after that, firstly, obviously you didn't remember anything that had happened the night before. Did you have mm-hmm. that kind of sinking feeling of what the fuck happened or how were you feeling about it? Oh, Oh, hell yeah. Like I was just thinking, like, how did I get home? How did I actually get from where I was at drinks that previous night? Because I you remember up to a point. How did I get from there? And then that freaked me out. Like that was my first experience of being blacked out and sort of how your body can obviously still control. Because people saying, oh, you did this, you did that. It was good up until that point. And then I was just yeah, very barely like responsive. Like I was sort of talking, you sort of when people get drunk, they sort of, you know that I think I was 
like that, I was told. And yeah, I woke up and obviously seeing what my parents showed me, I had to, had to clean everything up. It was horrible. It was a really embarrassing feeling. And I sort of felt like I really let my parents down. And my mum was pretty obviously concerned and upset because obviously my dad had to come in and get me. It's probably your parents' worst call to say that your son's had so much to drink and he's not very responsive. And yeah, I felt bad for them because my mum worries a lot. Mm. Um, and apparently that night she was coming in and checking on me every hour and she didn't get much sleep and so I think yeah. from then on in my mum was just very worried every time I went out she would worry even up until like two or three years ago she knew I was out she would be worried oh god I hope, hope you're gonna be all right just just drink mm. responsibly like all that sort of stuff oh I bet did you guys have yeah. a conversation about like after they started talking to you again after the three days, was there ever that conversation about what had happened and them talking about them being worried or was there an honest conversation that took place afterwards? Not that I can recall. I think it was more just you've got to learn from this. I guess it was, but I didn't really take it on board in all honesty. Like I just thought mm. after a few days, I was sort of feeling a little bit better about it. And again, like on the next day, on the Monday, like people were laughing about it and I was sort of, a little bit over it but yeah no no one I, I didn't really although I felt bad about it I think the regret kind of wore off a few days after I kind of saw it as a lesson but I didn't really learn my lesson because quite anything. a few other it just continued I guess as, as I was able to drink more and go out and I think that was just sort of the first major kind of dangerous night that I'd had that I just drunk far too much yeah I mean you must have felt like really sick as well the next day it's interesting how oh that need for acceptance overrides the feeling of the guilt and the shame and the, the physical oh. feelings that we have when we wake up, we're so hungover, and then we sort yeah. of forget and we go back to that behavior. In hindsight, yeah. this is a question you may may not be able to answer. And I'm asking you this question, being a parent myself, from a parent's perspective, is there anything that they could have said or anything that could have made you stop that would have made you at that point change? Hard to say. I don't realistically, I don't think there could have been, to be honest. Mm. Like I was out, I was free, I was young, I could do what I wanted. I don't think there's anything. Maybe they could have stopped paying for my school cricket fees or something like that. Or like a punishment. Punishment. I know mm. back in the day they used to always bar me from going on the computer and stuff if I was naughty when I was younger. But I think at that point they couldn't really do too much. And it was mm. sort of, they just had to just sort of talk to me. I know my mum always used to say, I, I love you so much and I don't want anything bad to happen to you as a way to sort of try and deter me. But I think mm. to be answer your question bluntly, I don't think they could have done anything. I guess a, a young 18 year old who's just started drinking alcohol and loves the buzz will do anything they can to get on it again if they really enjoyed it. And if they're getting that kind of recognition, especially that acceptance from the peers, especially when they've been yeah. bullied in the past, it's yeah. an interesting link to see. I wonder what it would have been like for you. And I'm not at all criticizing mum and dad. This is just out of interest's sake. But I wonder if they had have addressed the bullying and asked you what the alcohol gives you. And if you had have had this really kind of pulling it apart conversation, I wonder if that would have helped at all to kind of really unpack that relationship with alcohol or it would have just maybe mm. shed some light on it. Perhaps if you had kids, let's say you've got an 18 year old son mm. at some stage is in a similar situation. What do you think you would do? Because I don't think punishment necessarily works. What would you do? Do you think? Yeah, that's such a good question. I think that's a good point. You mentioned that talking to them about the effects, asking why are you getting so drunk? Because I think there's always a reason behind 
why we mm. want to go out there and get smashed. Yeah, I think that's probably the best way to look at it. But I would just obviously warn them about the impacts of drinking too much. I think mm. at some point, someone you have to kind of experiment with certain things, I feel. Obviously, you wouldn't want them to drink a whole bottle of vodka or something like that, but have a couple of drinks and try and control yourself. I guess for me, you give me a couple of drinks and I would just, it's an addictive mm. substance, right? And you just want to mm. keep drinking more. So it's a really hard one. But I would just sort of say, be sort of firm the first time, say like, here's probably four or five drinks, don't drink any more. And then I guess there comes an element of sometimes you got to learn the hard way. I feel as a young, mm. young kid, unfortunately there's no other way to it. In order to learn, you have to sometimes learn the hard way if you've made a stupid mistake. Um, sometimes it's the only way we do learn is by the mistakes yeah. that we've made. And I was just talking to my groups about this the other day when we can feel shame for the things that have happened when we're drunk, but they're often the thing that causes the change anyway. So, yeah. you know, and you have to learn from experience. I think you're right. As much as I want to protect my kids and I want to deter their drinking for as long as possible, mm. I guess at some point they will do it. And I hope to have, be able to keep the communication open with them and hopefully teach them about confidence. Yeah, gaining, how you, yeah, how you gain confidence without it. So how did you get to the point? So, I mean, you've got this real, I guess, from the recognition that you're getting from how drunk you were getting, that's that real carrot to keep you going, especially when you've had mm. the bullying in the past. So mm. how did you get to the point where you decided I need to stop? What got you there? Yeah, I think over a span of quite a few years, probably from 2018 or sort of end of 2017 at my final year at uni, I sort of became what you would say sort of sober curious. I sort of, I saw an ad that sort of was advertising sober camp or something that came up on my Facebook. It was probably in the height of 2017 where I had a relationship breakup with my first girlfriend and I hadn't actually experienced heartbreak before. And I think the way I dealt with that for quite a long time was just drinking and just sort of drinking to the point where I really just didn't want to wake up if I drank too much and didn't wake up drank myself to death well yeah I was comfortable with that and that was a really bad thing and instead of actually yeah. addressing the hurt I thought that just trying to drink myself into a place where I was away from my real feelings I would just yeah I'd feel better but really there's nothing worse than waking up in the morning with a broken heart but also killer hangover and that just sort of made me more miserable and a couple of instances happened around then where I got one of those nights where I was incredibly drunk. I was a, um, an academic guide at university. So basically a residential assistant, but for academics. And so I ended up going out drinking with the students, which was a bit of a no-no, the first year students. And we came back one night and there was the campus security guard gave us a bit of a talking to, but I basically absolutely abused them and told them to get stuffed and, oh. you know, and that security guards on our team because we're on the residential assistance and like the security guard works with us. So I had to go to the, my boss a couple of days later and explain, which was horrific, you know, already mm. going through the breakup and everything. So that's the last thing I needed through being hungover and going through a breakup and then having to deal with that. It's just an absolute, I just, just didn't want to live. I really, it was probably my worst moment. I had some really dark days where I thought about taking my own life. And that was definitely a, an alcohol fuel if I'd actually addressed that in a different way. Yeah, it might've been different. But anyway, that was one of the situations that led sort of, right, this is the, that was the first time that made me think one day I definitely want to quit. And then over the next sort of three, three or four years, there are two or three instances where I thought, right, I need to, to stop. 
One was at a, an M&M concert where I had about 12 bourbon and Cokes in the space of a couple of hours before the concert. And then our tickets were in like the mosh. We arrived. Eminem's just about to come on. You can hear the music, but I'm absolutely busting to go to the toilet. And so I, I, was like, I'm, I can't, just can't leave. Like I thought in the moment, I just can't leave. So I crouched down and took a person into the cup, but unfortunately it missed and it hit someone. Oh, and no. that person was a lot bigger than I am, very muscly, and he was not happy. And luckily I had a big, strong mate with me to try and calm him down. And that was really scary. Um, and obviously at an Eminem concert, there's people on some certain substances and dangerous people. Yeah. So I woke up that morning thinking, God, what an absolute stupid thing. And plus I was so drunk that I can hardly remember the concert. Mm. I like paid all that money to go. And so there was that. And that was a bit of a definite wake up call to sort of say, you can't really do that. And I think just that anxiety overall, like that anxiety from certain instances and drunk messages that I would send people, sometimes women, if I was sort of seeing them and then being a bit too overconfident and obviously those things ending as a result of drunken behavior. And I just get so depressed and upset about that for the weeks afterwards. I sort of that saying that four to eight hours of high level buzz for a whole week of feeling shameful just mm. wasn't worth it. Same thing at a, at a wedding. Basically, we had a three-day bender. This was in 2020, just before COVID. And we had a night before drinks. We all got pretty pretty drunk then there was the day of the wedding before the wedding we yeah, just sunk up a heck of a lot of alcohol and then obviously the wedding night I got into a bit of a fight with someone just at the bar afterwards wasn't anyone at the wedding but got into a confrontation in like the toilet just I think someone just wanted to wanted to fight basically and I stupidly made a dumb decision and took my drink at him and ran out and then he like completely bowls me over and security people saw that he bowled me over. I sort of walked out and all of a sudden he bowled me over and he got taken away by security and got put in a police car and that could have been me. And I was just thinking the next day it's like, Jeepers, that's just, yeah, not who I want to be. And I think mm. yeah, at that point the, the hangovers were horrific. And like, I had obviously worked that next day or the, cause we had another day after that actually we, had a Sunday barbecue and we got really drunk and had some weed the next day as well. And that's a terrible combination. And just the hangover on that, that Monday when having to go back to the ferry terminal, because we were, it was in Nelson and living in Wellington, you catch the ferry. And just that ferry ride was the most awful experience. Ooh. So I, I guess a few of those things. And then I think the final final one that led to me wanting to really give up was one night group of mates it was a 21st of a younger friend of mine and went out to town and were with a bumped into a group of mates and then there was that cardi b song i think that whap song and that was coming on and i took a snapchat and i sent it to a whole lot of other people with my tongue out and my two fingers next to my lips and with my tongue it was just disgusting and i sent a snapchat to quite a few of my Snapchat contacts, including my mum, actually, which was quite oh, no. embarrassing. And obviously, mum doesn't really use Snapchat much. And so and I, knew, I know the next day I was catching up with her and I just went onto her phone. I said, mum, can I just borrow your phone for a little bit? And I like opened up the Snapchat and yeah, deleted. <laughs> At that point, I was just, yeah, I, I, I was just so embarrassed. And you know, again, I had sort of thoughts like, if I can't sort this out, well, I'm just going to, yeah, I don't want to live like this. There's, definitely a better way to live and then I 
at some point before that night, I'd stumbled across your podcast and it was just really good hearing other people's stories. And I was definitely keen to quit at some point, but at the same time, I was like, oh, how am I, how am I going to live that? How am I going to have fun? And at that point, that was the only thing I really saw fun out of on a, on a weekend, like catching up with mates. I would always involved alcohol. Alcohol was a big part of socializing. Mm. Me and my flatmate, we used to say to each other, if one of us was really dusty or hungover, we'd say, why do you do it to yourself? And we'd always just joke with ourselves and say, don't know. Like, and then the last time I drank, I was with a group of mates and uh, at the bar. And obviously that reputation of, of being someone who kind of gets loose. And with these people over time, I'd sort of sculled a lot of drinks. I was sort of known for sculling quite a few drinks back. And basically we wanted to break the record of how many pint glasses I could scull. Basically in the space of about four hours, I had sculled about 11 or 12. And then I blacked out completely Mm. in the space of three or four hours. And I think there were some shots involved during that time as well. And I woke up the next morning just so, so hungover, really embarrassed. I just vomited everywhere in the toilet, really embarrassing. And I said, I'm not going to drink again. I I really am not going to drink again. And so that's when I was like, right, I'm committed to this. I'm really going to make sure I don't drink again and really find a way of not drinking. (laughs) Wow. Okay. So we'll get into that in a second of how you did it. But I mean, that's such a big commitment to it. You would have been how old? Um, 26, 27 at that age, 26 and a half. That's a huge commitment to make at that age. Firstly, had you ever said that before? Because I know so many times I'm like, that's it, I'm never drinking again. Had you ever said that to yourself before? Yeah, I had, but I wasn't as, I'd sort of say that on the two days after. Yeah. I'd say that on the morning, I'd never drinking it. But then like a couple of days after I kind of get over and think, oh, you know, I just got to drink a little bit less next weekend kind of thing. But Yeah, you start to negotiate that. You have that kind of decision and then we start to, oh, I'll just have a couple. I'll just learn to just have a couple. Yes. That old chestnut. What made this one stick, do you think? What made this decision stick this time? It's a hard one. I think that was just sort of the final nail on the coffin. I'd had quite a few situations over that past few years since the COVID coming out of lockdown and things where I was just drinking so much and I was drinking kind of 20 to 30 standards sometimes you go out and have a 12 pack and then you go into town and have all sorts of shots and all that stuff and I just sort of you know it's not good for my health it'd be better for my music if I wanted to start doing a bit of performing and the time that would be spent being hung over could be used to be writing new music or doing more practice given that Saturday and Sunday I'm a days off from my day job at work and I think Right. I was just really committed to wanting to make that change and and be happier because one time I'd done a month off and I think back in 2019, I'd done one month off and I just sort of remembered how good I felt. And I just wanted to feel that and stop feeling those sense of anxiety and shame that would actually stick with me throughout the week at work while I'm trying to think about work. I'd be distracted at work by all these thoughts oh what did I do on the weekend what did I was I being a sleaze was I being stupid towards people it was just a horrible sense of reality that I was putting myself through when I was drinking and then the after effects and so I was just like right I'm really committed to this I really want to get help and I talked to my parents my parents are very helpful and 
very supportive and my mates were very supportive as well I think a few of them were a bit surprised to start off with but my really good mates at least they were extremely supportive Mm, it would have been a big shift for them especially if they've seen you be this kind of really full-on party guy to then going no I'm not drinking anymore it's it's a big shift for people to get their heads around sometimes not just ourselves but it's so awesome if the friends are supportive I want mm. to talk a little bit about where you said, this is not who I want to be. And when we keep waking up to ourselves going, this is not who I want to be, this is not who I want to be, I just so related. As soon as you said that, I was like, oh, God, I remember that. Just mm-hmm. always thinking, this is not me, this is not me, this mm. is not me. But I couldn't stop. I just would make the deals with myself again. I'll just learn to have one. I'll just learn to have two. I'll just learn to have one yeah. every hour. And then sure enough, waking up again, this is not who I want to be. This is not who I want to be. I think eventually, hopefully, if we can recognize this is not who I want to be, this is not in my true nature, this isn't in line with my values, then we can start to really look at it and go, okay, it's alcohol that's causing me to be not who I want to be. It's Mm. actually not me. Yes, I'm putting the drink to my lips, but this Mm. is one major ingredient that's causing me to wake up not who I want to be. So what do we have to get rid of? We have to get rid of the alcohol and then see how we feel with some time, with a lot of time to sit with how we feel and notice how we feel not waking up with that shame and regret and putting all the pieces together. I think that's what really makes it stick in the end. How did you quit? What did you do? So I honestly listened. I had listened to your podcast. I just binge watched your podcast and took quite a few notes. I should have really seeked out help um, pro professional help, but I I just felt that I'd t- take it like month by month to see what I could do, and I think yeah, I had some really good people on that had some very similar stories that I could resonate with, and some really a lot worse off than I was. Like some pe- people had parents that were alcoholics and things, whereas I had a loving family. My parents really aren't drinkers at all, so I really had a loving upbringing. But some people had some rough upbringings, and I sort of thought, well, if they can quit, then why can't I quit? kind of thing Mm. and I just sort of was more determined and I sort of I started making plans with my music and things but I think one of your person who said on I think his name was Carl I think he was a rugby coach I think Mm -hmm. and he sort of said I made a shit list of all the things what what happens when I get too drunk and all the the negative things and so I made a list of that and sort of talked about what has happened in the past what do I experience so that was anxiety, depression, sending mm. dumb mm. messages to people, particularly women. That just made me feel so embarrassed about myself. And so whenever I sort of got a feeling I really wanted to drink, I would just look at that list and think about all of those negative things, the hangovers, the work unproductivity, and oh, it's just I guess when I looked at looked at sort of the costs and benefits, mm. yeah, there's so many benefits of not drinking and so many costs that could if I didn't stop if I continue my ways then there's going to be something that I felt I sort of had this huge fear that I would do something really dumb that could really land me in a lot of trouble there was Mm -hmm. that fear I suppose so yeah that's sort of how I quit and I I must admit having the zero percent alcohol drinks was Mm -hmm. a huge one and it still is it just makes such a difference and Mm. I think for me going out sort of being out of fit in I think Mm. the zero percent alcohol drinks just for me made me fit in they sort of still taste like alcohol and obviously there are better 
0% drinks out there than others. But I think just the fact you could have something in your hand and then you're drinking, drinking just like everyone else, that helped me fit in. And mm. just having that in the back of my mind that you're going to wake up fresh as a daisy tomorrow, be able to do some music and mm. you know, enjoy your Sunday or Saturday, depending on what night I was drinking. And so, yeah, there were attempts. I, I definitely had nights where I think, oh God, I could just have a couple or I could just have one night. I could just have, this will be my last night kind of thing. But I just looked at that shit list, basically. Mm. And yeah, the shit list is so powerful. Yeah. Just write it down. And like you were saying too, and for everyone listening, it doesn't even really matter where you are in your sobriety. It's so good to write the shit list or to mm. do that, the risk cost analysis and see, mm. okay, what am I gaining from drinking and what's it costing me? What's the impact? And then seeing how you feel, like how do those lists weigh up against each other? You might read it and then go, yeah, this isn't worth it. I'm not getting really anything out of this. I might be getting a five minute buzz or a bit of confidence and seeing what's right about the alcohol, but seeing if we can give ourselves that in a different way. Mm. If the costs are really mm. great, if it's really impacting you, find out what's right about it, what it gives you. Okay. But how can I give that to myself in another way? So I might be working on confidence. I think it's really good to be good at something. So the fact that you've got the music, beautiful, beautiful mm. piano player that you are, I think leaning into what you're good at helps build your confidence as well. Mm. I think that's oh, really good thing. Yeah. Yeah, being good at something is good. And we're all good at something. We've all got a special talent or a gift yeah. or something. It might mm. be, I'm a great listener. Okay, if I'm a great listener, maybe go into a counseling course or you'll find that way to build your confidence through something that you're good at. I also loved where you talked about your mum early on said, I love you so much. I don't want anything to happen to you. Having that love of a parent, I think does help. Like Josh from The Waves, where he talked about that love from mm. his mum how having that love and that support from his parents really helped. I know that's hard for people who don't have that, but then perhaps, and I'm aware when I'm saying this, that I hope that doesn't trigger anyone that doesn't feel that they have that love. Could you love yourself or could you think about other people that someone that loves you or a pet or an animal or just getting that love, that feeling of love? I think that helps to solidify our self-esteem as well. Yeah, so that's really, really, really great. And going back to that shit list is so important. It's that playing it forward, isn't it? And every time mm. I felt triggered or I felt like I want to drink, it was always the same for me too. Well, what's it actually going to give me? Mm. I'm going to wake up in shitsville is where I'm going to, that's how I'm going to feel. So that's amazing, yeah. Sam. It's just so yeah. awesome. And how's life improved for you without it? Uh, life is just really amazing now. Like there's just very little anxiety on the Sunday morning or Saturday morning. I've been out to really invest a lot more time into my music. And I, last year was sort of obviously my first full year of being sober. For the first time, I actually got out there performing. I'd done one or two gigs in the past, but very few and far between before then. And I did 12 gigs throughout last year. And so Amazing. being able to practice that and put effort into practicing for those on the weekend wouldn't have been able to happen if I was hungover. But I just feel a bit more clear in the mind, just a bit more with my feelings. If I'm feeling down for, for whatever reason, I just feel like I can like sit with my feelings and try and, like you said earlier, do something that makes me feel good. It gives me that same buzz. I know I've performed at my cricket club rooms. I've mm -hmm. performed a few backing concerts there and that gives me such a great buzz. And so it's just sort of Mm. trying to learn to find something that gives me that replacement buzz and where mm. people love it gives you that kind of recognition that 
I suppose I was craving when I was younger that alcohol kind of gave me that fact that I do funny stuff and get recognition. But this time I'm actually doing something by playing music, gifting people with music rather than doing silly dance moves that ended up on, <laughs> on Facebook, actually having people get my music instead. It's getting recognition for something that you're actually good at rather than yeah. just acting like a clown. And it's so yeah. different, yeah. isn't it? It's yeah. a beautiful, beautiful feeling. And like I said, yeah. you don't have to be a piano player. You might be a great buddy chef or you might be good at cooking. Mm. So leaning into that and getting recognition. I love cooking and yeah. I love cooking things from scratch. Yeah. And some friends will come and they're like, wow, this is amazing. I'm like, I just do it for the attention. <laughs> sort of say to them. Yeah. But it's really nice to get recognition at whatever it is that you're good at. And it feels good. And it's such a beautiful gift to be able to share mm with people I think some people feel like oh if I show off about this or share it too much I'm going to look like it but it's not that it's a beautiful gift when you're good at something Mm. it's a beautiful gift to be able to share with people I love that so Sam how are your parents they must be so relieved that you've stopped drinking yeah no they they really are I don't think they probably expected it to be honest Mm. Um, but I think they're very relieved and my mum can stop worrying about when she knows I'm out drinking and knowing that I'm in control being sober and sober driving and things now they're really happy definitely puts a smile on their face yeah I bet they must be so relieved have any of your friends kind of followed suit or have you inspired anyone to look at their own drinking in your friend group yeah I I I guess I haven't forced it upon them. Like they obviously, I sort of just try and people know that I'm on a journey and I try not to preach it or anything. I just sort of sort of say, look, if you want to, they know that if they want to chat about it, I'm I'm happy to share my experience and help them what worked to me. I have sent this podcast to a few friends who listen. So I guess they're on there probably in a more sober, curious state Mm. perhaps. But I mean, everyone's on their own journey and yeah, for me, it was sort of more about when I'm out on the town and sometimes I find really hard if people say, oh, are you drinking tonight? Or, you know, if I haven't met them and I particularly at work, like we sometimes go out for work drinks. I don't tell many people in my workplace that I don't drink. I just sort of say, oh, I'm just not drinking tonight. I'm just having a night off rather than having to go into the, oh, I don't drink and I got myself to this point by doing this. I just say, hey, I'm, I'm just not drinking tonight. I'm just taking a wee break mm-hmm. and I'm, or I'm sober driving tonight. So just keeps yeah, people so off your back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I, I was absolutely happy to share my story, but I just don't mm. want to be that guy who everyone else is drinking and saying, "Oh, you should get sober." You know, I don't. Yeah. Don't want to be like that. People just kind of yeah. People, if people know I'm sober, they're absolutely most welcome to talk to me about it, and people know that. But yeah. Mm-hmm. I ask this question to everyone, but if you could go back and speak to your 18 year old self that guy that was getting pissed there and passing out at the bus stop. What would you say to him? (laughs) What would you say to him if you were back there and being able to have a conversation with him? I would just say be confident, really. I think just generally, like, for someone who was yet younger, like, because I was obviously very self-conscious back then about how just just be confident. Don't care about what people say, say or think about you. It's easy to say in hindsight, of course, but I think just being confident in who you are and I think yeah like you said focus on what you're good at because I still had my sport and everything I was put Mm. a lot of time and effort into do what you're passionate about chase those dreams I know I wanted to be a a black ass cricketer but that didn't quite turn out and just Mm. focus on something else and be be confident whatever you do yeah 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 absolutely that's I think that's beautiful advice 
That is great advice, actually, for people with teenagers too, just really helping them to hone in on what they are good at and Mm. getting confidence through that thing that they're good at. And if they're not sure what that is, maybe as a parent for parents, helping them find that. And then for Mm. people that are parenting themselves at an older, middle-aged or whatever, finding that thing for yourself and really finding what that is that you can be good at and that you can garner some confidence from is definitely a great idea. And so one gift that you are about to impart on us all. So we're recording this in late March, but this podcast will probably air sometime early June. And you've got a, a new album coming out called Journey to Sobriety, which is out on Spotify on June the 2nd. And what a beautiful gift that is going to be to give people. How does it look? How does it sound? Yeah. So thanks so much, Danny. On the 2nd of June, I I'm releasing an album. It's a 10-song album called Journey Sobriety. And there's sort of 10 original compositions that are just solo piano. It's just me and the piano. Um, Beautiful, beautiful grand piano in the studio. Mm -hmm. And that sort of, I guess, encapsulates the first five or six songs are really about those feelings of just embarrassment, I guess, and regret. Mm -hmm. Uh, As you can probably tell by some of the melodies in them, they do, they're quite dark. But then the later songs just sort of reflect being on that journey of giving up and that there are some twists where you Mm. sort of feel you get those temps and you want to go back, but sort of having, knowing that you will be better off by staying sober and being on the the sober journey. Yeah, looking back at the times when things weren't good and just being happy that I am where I am and being on the journey. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, it's, it's sort of, I guess, therapeutic. A lot of my music is very, I aim to make it therapeutic as possible just to reflect my journey and yeah, as you said, sort of just sharing something with people that's positive mm. and that can have a really good effect on them. I think, you know, I listen to a lot of solo piano on some of the big solo piano playlists and it's just amazing how soothing and how it puts you into a nice frame of mind. So to be able to do that for people is great. And um, mm. I hope I can get out there and perform and put smiles on people's faces in a positive way. So, how yeah. beautiful. Oh, I cannot wait to hear that. I've heard some of your music and it is absolutely gorgeous. So if people Thank wanted you. to reach out to you or hear some of what you've got, firstly, they can listen on Spotify and it's Samuel Philip Cooper. That's correct. Yep. Yeah. Samuel Philip Cooper. And it's the same on Instagram, isn't it? Samuel Philip Cooper on Instagram yeah, as yes. well. So and it's SP Cooper Piano. Yeah. You'll be able to find me on there and happy to chat if anyone's got any questions. And Oh, gorgeous. Um, yeah, yeah, that's absolutely beautiful. And there's so many beautiful piano like covers and things on your Instagram as well. I'll put links in the show notes so people oh, can you. go and have a listen as well. It's absolutely gorgeous. That's just wonderful. Sam, what a beautiful offering. And I hope that that brings some lightness and joy to people that are on this journey as well, that they oh, can tune in you. and listen to that. How gorgeous. Well, I really appreciate your time today, Sam. And just sharing your story, sharing your music with the world. I think it's absolutely awesome, the gifts that you're giving. And I think you are being very recognized by me and all the people listening right now. And Thank I think you so much, Jenny. You're amazing. Well done. Cheers. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. And um, yeah, I really appreciate it. And your podcast has, has honestly really had an amazing effect on me. So if I hadn't stumbled upon your podcast, I who knows, I could still be drinking and living mm. a life I really wouldn't want to be living. So yeah, thanks so much for you and all your effort that you put in and really helps everyone. 
Oh, thanks, Sam. Thank you so much. What a beautiful thing to say. Thank you. Well, I look forward to meeting you in the flesh one day, perhaps when you're over here or over there. We should write yeah. a song together. That'd be awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Amazing, Sam. Have an awesome day. Thank you so much. Cheers. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.